Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening. This is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic abuse. If you would like to call in, this is a live show, and you may do so. The number is 917-889-8078. If you're listening tonight and would like to get in touch with me by email, you can do so at ShereenCWR at gmail.com. Let me spell that for you, S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I want to do a shout-out tonight to Ashley Martledge. She spoke at the UVU Domestic Violence Conference, and she was absolutely amazing. As uh, some of you know that she spoke at my uh, domestic violence conference here in southern Utah uh, last year, and they were able to get her up north as well. So she taught us all a lot about how the brain works with trauma. And it was really, really a great uh, time. She said she doesn't mind coming on my show, so I'm going to have her sometime soon. Okay, just want to shout out to her and say I love you, Ash, and keep up the good work. Okay, um, I'd like to remind everyone that our show, my show, is on every Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Mountain, and 8 p.m. Central Time. Uh, my show can also be heard on iTunes. Stitcher and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want to do a direct link to those services, you may go to the CWR homepage on the website cwrtalknetwork.com and click on the logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please do not hesitate to call the national hotline. That's 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233. And we'll be right back. I'm going to have a public service announcement. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I improved my credit score. You're kidding, right? Uh, no. How are we supposed to be the bad boys of Electrosynth Pop if you're out there being responsible? The band is about to be discovered. This is our year. Uh, yeah, you've been saying that for a while now. You think anyone in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was worried about their credit score? I never really thought that Of we're... course they weren't. Rock stars aren't supposed to think about that kind of stuff. We're supposed to think about how many guitars we've smashed, write aggressively sensitive power ballads, start questionable fashion trends, tragically break up and blame creative differences. All right, all right, just... I thought maybe it was time to take control of my finances, you know? Start using a budget. Get out of debt. Set some goals. A budget? Debt? Set some goals? Listen, I knew that we'd have our creative differences, but I was hoping they'd involve a little more scandal. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Welcome back. Uh, this is Shereen, and let me tell you 
a little bit about my guest tonight. Allison is going to be talking on human trafficking. So let me tell you a little bit about her bio here. She has an extensive one. Allison has a long history in teaching and advocacy for children and families. She received her undergraduate and graduate degrees in human development and social policy from the University of Utah, where she has also taught for several years. She continued to teach in higher education throughout Nevada and developed a life coaching practice. She then became a statewide coordinator for the Office of Drug Endangered Children for the Nevada Attorney General. Through the course of her work in Nevada, she saw and worked with many individuals who had experienced human trafficking. She is passionate about helping those at risk for being victimized. She is now the Education Outreach Specialist for the Trafficking in Persons Program at the Refuge and Immigrant Center Asian Association of Utah. Hi, Allison. Hi there. How are you, Serene? (laughs) Excellent. I'm so grateful for you to be on my show tonight. I just cannot tell you. So let's start with the first thing. And we talked a little bit about it before, but what is human trafficking? So human trafficking is um, defined as um, basically where someone um, takes advantage of another person and it happens through the means of force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of commercial sex or forced labor or services. And the action that that person um, can take under the law is attempting to recruit or recruiting, harboring someone, transporting someone, um, patronizing someone, soliciting someone, advertising someone. So an example would be that um, a person takes a picture of a person that they want to traffic and they advertise that person through a variety of of ways. Um, They pull them into the life of sex trafficking or human trafficking through either force, fraud, or coercion. Force meaning, you know, literally a physical force dynamic Fraud, meaning basically a big fat lie, um, but it doesn't come across as a lie. Um, It comes across as honesty, and there is huge manipulation and deception involved in that. And then coercion is where someone looks for vulnerability in another person and then um, uses that vulnerability as leverage in order to get that person to do what they want them to do against their will. And again, for the purpose of commercial sex or forced labor. So an example would be that taking of a picture, advertising the person, um, they pulled them into the life maybe through coercion. We've had instances where a single mom um, with three kids is befriended by an individual that um, they think is a really good friend that they can trust, turns into maybe a more romantic dynamic and um, then that individual uses those kids and danger coming to and harm coming to those kids as leverage to get the mom to do what they want her to do, which would be to get into the life, go turn a trick, or um, to engage in forced labor or service. So I hope that's clear in terms of um, the definition. We can get into more examples later. There's one caveat I want to mention, and that is that in the case of a juvenile, Um, There is no force, fraud, or coercion needed when we're talking about the purpose for the purpose of commercial sex, and that has to do with the age of consent. And so it is just simply that someone commits one of those actions I mentioned, um, like attempting to recruit a juvenile into human trafficking for the purposes of commercial sex, 
that alone without the force, fraud, or coercion is human trafficking of a minor. Wow. And um, you'll give us some examples later because we, you and I discuss examples, right? So how do people get pulled yeah. into trafficking? Let's start there. Yeah, so there are a variety of ways um, that the recruitment happens. I'll give you um, some new information, which has just come out from the national hotline. I want to share the hotline number if I could. Um, Absolutely. The human trafficking hotline. Okay, perfect. I'll share it now. The human trafficking hotline number, it's actually very easy to commit to memory. And for any listeners, I would challenge you to commit it to memory, and hopefully you'll have the chance to give it out at some point. Um, it is 888-3737-888. Very simple. Three eights on either side and 3737 in the middle. Um, and that is the human trafficking hotline. It is a nonprofit, but it is also federally funded. It's also referred to as Polaris. And so others, um, some of your listeners may have heard of it referred to as that. In terms of recruitment tactics, the number one form of recruitment is where someone, and especially for sex trafficking in this case, someone poses and um, purports kind of a feigned love dynamic, so an intimate partner or marriage uh, dynamic. And um, that person, as I mentioned in the previous example, they gain the trust of an individual. And while they're gaining that person's trust and sitting and listening to them for hours, they are really just gathering information. They are gathering information and looking for those things that would make them vulnerable and, um, and something that they can use as leverage against that individual. So number one is the intimate partner. Number two is, for the first time ever, familial. So familial trafficking is in the top five for both sex and labor trafficking, in this instance, I'm referring to the familial trafficking being number two when it comes to sex trafficking. So that's where family is trafficking family. Yeah, can and I, I say hope something everybody's... about that? Yes, please. Uh, that happened to a friend of mine, actually, in Texas, uh, her um, daughter. And um, I was actually shocked um, that an intimate partner would traffic their own wife. And it was just the saddest thing that I heard. Saddest. I mean, yeah. he did end up yeah. murdering her um, because oh my I guess, yeah, it was it was very tragic. But um, well, yeah, we we know that um, half of trafficking victims don't make it out alive, and so that that actually fits with um, you know the information we have, and you know <sighs> a lot of times we have, you know, I'll go throughout the state of Utah and train. Um, doctors, for, for example, in terms of what is trafficking, what what should they be looking for, what are some of the red flags and things like that, which we'll get into later. And a lot of them say they are just shocked about the familial piece because they've had dynamics where dad or mom is bringing daughter in, and there seems to be a very odd dynamic and a very controlling dynamic. They ask the daughter questions and the father answers, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. um, they completely dismissed it because they thought, well, this guy's not going to do this to his daughter. But, wow. um, in fact, that is happening. And we have a lot of parents that with the opioid crisis that we have um, and, and the dynamics with substances as they are in the United States and, of course, throughout the world, but here in Utah it's an issue as well, um, we have parents that are trafficking their kids to finance their drug habit. And so it's, it's that dynamic. Um, so familial is second. 
then posing as a benefactor is third. Like um, someone would say, I'm living with my uncle while I'm in school and I'm just staying with him, that kind of thing. Um, job offers fourth. And then finally, the fifth for sex trafficking is false promises or fraud. And so those are the top forms of recruitment um, into sex trafficking. We also have very well-spoken, very clean-cut 19-year-olds recruiting a 17-year-old. Um, that was an intimate partner dynamic, and then they were recruited into the life that way. In terms of labor trafficking, um, the way the recruitment's happening, obviously the number one is a job offer. And right. a, job, a job offer is made, but then when it comes to actually coming and performing the job, um, all of the criteria that um, – was was indicated is is not present so the pay is different or something like that and then number two is false promises or fraud so someone again is lying um but that's the main way they say you're going to come and you're going to um you know work on a pig farm for example or you're going to herd you know sheep herding is another big one in utah and um and they are promised that that's what they're going to do but then they get here and they're you know they're not doing that at all and they're forced to do other work that they are not even you know really skilled to do or don't want to do um and they're really paid nothing um and then smuggling related um obviously trafficking does not have to involve movement i want to make that really clear but there are some cases where smuggling is an issue and then familial is fourth for labor trafficking and then finally posing as a benefactor that I already defined as fifth. So those are kind of the ways um, or the, the ways in which it happens. I'd like to share a little bit about um, where it's happening. Yes, Can I yes. share that? Yes, please. Okay. And so it's happening. Um, number one place it's happening is the Internet. Um, we have uh, a variety. We have Snapchat. We have, um, and these are all examples of places where the the, the victims that we serve, we are a direct service provider for victims of trafficking, victims and survivors of trafficking. Um, we have one of our survivors was trafficked off of Tinder, which you know, um, is a dating no. app. And um, yeah. yeah, and then others are Snapchat, Facebook, um, and WhatsApp is another big one, Skype, and then Kick. And then we also have um, one one uh, survivor that was trafficked off of Mutual, which, which is um, a another dating dating app, basically. Um, so all of these are happening off of the internet. Another piece that I want to mention is we met with the FBI recently, and one of the things they mentioned to us is that the majority of the cases that are coming into their uh, agency at this point here in Utah are. Um, our recruitment that was happening through the video game chat feature. So um, someone's online playing video games and they can play, you know, other people. Um, and a lot of times there's chatting that is, that goes on between those individuals. What ends up happening though, is that there are kids, juveniles, and even some adults, some college students that have been recruited through that chat feature. Basically, they engage the person via the chat feature, and then they say, hey, let's, let's meet up on Facebook or let's go to, you know, some other, you know, Instagram or um, Messenger or something like that to be able to continue the conversation. But the initial engagement and kind of establishing that dynamic of trust is through the video game chat feature. So my advice is turn off the chat features. If you are playing video games, if your kids do, if your nieces or nephews do, turn off that chat feature. And they can still play 
other people via the internet, but just to, you know, turn that off. So um, you're also then, saying games then, right? What's that? You're also saying like console games and stuff? Yeah, turn off any, that any chat kind feature. of console. Yeah, exactly. Anything with a chat feature and then just disengage that that chat feature and that then, you know, you're free to play your games or whatever, but it's just a huge safety piece. Wow. So, yeah. So that was kind of a recent update from the FBI. And then, um, so the internet is the number one way um, that recruitment is happening. Also, um, after school programs, it's, it's happening in after school programs. It's happening in group homes or the 7-Eleven around the corner from the group home. It's happening in homeless shelters. It's happening in home countries. What I mean by that is we have several youth that um, have been recruited from Honduras, um, and they are, are recruited. Their family is held um, in Honduras. Obviously, that's, their, that's their, you know, their home country, right? And so they're held there, and they are um, threatened that if, if this youth does not come to the U.S. to sell heroin for this um, drug uh, dynamic, right, um, it can, and it's typically, uh, obviously, a, a, a gang and um, and uh, drug drug uh, trafficking that's occurring, and so they, that family is held in Honduras. The youth has to come here and sell heroin on the streets of Salt Lake City, and um, and then that's you know that's that's the dynamic. So a lot of recruitment is happening in the in the home country of the individual, and that, by the way, is labor trafficking. Um, and, and so that's, that's an example of that, that we're seeing a lot in Salt Lake right now. It's also happening at places like malls, you know, where kids kind of hang out and, and so forth, parks and, and on the streets, of course, and then libraries and schools. And what we're seeing in schools is kind of interesting. We see, um, a woman, a young woman who is maybe a junior or senior, and she's kind of in the more semi-popular group and she's recruiting, um, you know, someone who's maybe a sophomore or freshman in the not so popular group. And so she's recruiting that person and there's huge leverage there, right? Because what that person, that younger youth wants is to be accepted and and wanted um, into a group, right? And so that's a huge um, piece of leverage that we're seeing um, that people are taking advantage of. Wow, that is that is really sad. So, um, but I want to yeah. go back to the Honduras thing. So they bring the kids out. They're holding the parents hostage. What do they tell the children? That they'll kill the parents if they don't do the job? Or or what is it? Yeah, actually, it, it's it's not necessarily, okay, so the parents and the, and the family isn't held hostage, so to speak, but they are in the sense that, you know, that kid is told that, there will be harm that comes to their family if they don't do what they're being told to do. And that harm could be maybe one person in the family gets killed or, you know, somebody gets beat up within inches of their life, you know, that kind of thing in the family. So there will be harm that comes to that family if the kid doesn't come and sell the heroin on the streets of Salt Lake, for example. Wow. 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 Okay. So how prevalent, um, I know I want to ask you about Utah, but how prevalent is it in other states as well? Which one's the most prevalent and so forth? Well, okay, so back east, um, it is a bit more prevalent. Utah ranks probably in about the middle 
of, um, of the whole dynamic. And I would say, so California is huge, and then on the other coast as well. So East Coast, West Coast are huge. Obviously, um, Las Vegas is in the top five. So I'm saying that about the coast, but I'm also going to say um, clearly, in fact, Las Vegas, I think, is number two. And then San Francisco is, I think it's about seven or eight. So, and then, and then there's another dynamic in Southern California that, that's also huge. So we have some cities here in the West that are, you know, in that top five. And then we have a lot. Um, New York is obviously huge. Boston is huge. Um, you know, a lot of the bigger cities, it's, it's very prevalent. Um, but, and so what we know is that, um, you know, roughly the hotline has about 8,800 calls. Um, actually cases, I should say, cases reported to the hotline every year. And so that's, um, that's a national hotline. And, um, and we know that that's increasing. In fact, human trafficking has gone from the third largest illicit industry in the United States to the second. Oh, no. And it is rapidly approaching the first, which is the drug trade. So, um, and, and it's because human trafficking is incredibly profitable. If you think about the drug trade compared to the trafficking dynamic, in order, to, in order to sell a drug, I either have to make it, which costs me money, or have to buy it, which costs me money. And then I go and I sell it to, you know, the person that I'm providing the drugs to. But if I'm going to, um, and so we compare that, right, you have to spend money to make money. Each time you sell something, you've had to spend money to make that money. And then you take part of that profit, you go back and buy more. In human trafficking, you recruit somebody into the life, and the way in which that happens is through that forced fraud or coercion. You basically coerce them and get them to do something they don't want to do. It's against their will. Um, and so you have that control over them. In addition to that, oftentimes there is a relationship of trust that's been established between the trafficker and the victim. And I use that term victim in the context of recruitment. Um, they 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 basically recruit them in, but they establish a relationship of trust, almost like they care about them and they love them and, you know, that kind of thing. That's that feigned love we talked about. But then once they get them really kind of hooked into that relationship of trust, it can be a father-daughter dynamic, it can be a boyfriend-girlfriend dynamic, whatever it is, but that relationship of trust, once they pull them in, then the tables turn, and that's when they say, you're going to do this, and if not, then this is what's going to happen. So it's, it's very powerful um, the way that happens. And so anyway, I just wanted to kind of make that point that that recruitment isn't just a simple cut-and-dry kind of thing. And so we have about 8,800 cases that were reported to the hotline, about 71% of those were sex trafficking, where about half of them were female. No, pardon me, 80% were female and half were children. So children um, are about half of those that are pulled into the sex trafficking dynamic. Labor trafficking is lower, and it's around 20%. But what we know is that labor trafficking, we tend to see more males in labor trafficking, although roughly 57% are female. And a lot of labor trafficking victims are foreign nationals or legalized immigrants. And so by, by a lot, I mean about 68%. So that still leaves about 32% that are not, you know, that are from here, that are, you know, in the U.S. born. And so um, anyway, that kind of gives you an idea of what we're looking at in terms of national 
data, we have a lot of Utah data that I can share if you want me to share that. Yes, please do. And um, also north and south, is it more prevalent in the northern part of Utah or southern part of Utah? Actually, we are close to Vegas prevalent. down here. <laughs> we, you are. And actually, what I can tell you, the hot spots are um, St. George, Cedar City. Then we have some hot spots in the central part of the state where there's a lot of agriculture and a lot of um, and then and a lot of rural areas that are struggling with the drug epidemic, the opioid ep- epidemic, and so that's fueling a lot of mid Utah issues. And then we have the Wasatch Front, and those are also hot spots. What we see is kind of and what it's called is a track, right? It's the I-15 track, and um, a lot of cases we have come from um, from that dynamic coming up from Las Vegas up the track. And, and, you know, and heading further north. Um, and then we also have the I-80 track, right, because it's going to San Francisco and the Bay Area and things like that. And so um, we have that track as well. So the hotspots are kind of along the track, if you will, um, and, and that is what we're seeing. We have a case in St. George that happened a couple of years ago, and this is a good example of how handy the hotline is and how great it is in terms of um, it really efficiency. What the hotline does is they have a certain set of criteria that, um, that you have to, to engage in and be highly vetted in order to be listed on the hotline as an agency or a resource that they can refer someone who's calling for services to. And so what ends up happening is um, in, in this one case in St. George, we had a juvenile and she was being trafficked by her family. She'd been being trafficked since she was 12, and she was now 16, actually almost 17. And fa- the family left for um, a, a period of time, a very, I, I want to say like a day, to go take care of a sick aunt. And um, she had seen the hotline number in a bathroom down in St. George and committed it to memory. When the family left, then um, she ended up, uh, you know, recalling the hotline, called the hotline number, and the hotline followed the protocol that's in place for that region, which they have, they have certain succinct protocols for every region in the state of Utah, as well as throughout the nation, and they immediately connected to our youth specialist that is here in Salt Lake, and because there weren't any, you know, local human, you know, trafficking resources in the area, although we do have relationships with shelters um, and so forth down there now, um, which there weren't at that time. And so, anyway, they immediately contacted our youth specialist. Our youth specialist was in touch with an advocate who then went to this young woman's house. Um, the, the advocate took her to the bus station. This young woman was on the bus by mid-afternoon, heading to Salt Lake to receive services. And, of course, law enforcement was waiting for the family when they returned. So that's a great example of, you know, kind of getting immediate resources the way they need to be, you know, handled in terms of, um, you know, utilization of that hotline. Um, And so that's an example of a case that we just had in St. George a couple of years ago. And there are many, many cases like that throughout the state. In fact, we're serving currently 90 victims of trafficking right now. Oh, it's so sad. You know, I was in Oregon for a little bit and um, because I'm working on my degree, I would go wherever I could. Yeah. I would go wherever I could to get internet because it's online, of course. 
And one of those mm-hmm. was a bar, right? So I'd be going in there every right. day working on my homework. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'd talk to the people there because they come in every day, some, some of them. And um, one time um, I was married at that time, uh, and, uh, just before this, before this, and I saw a girl get out of a, a young girl, I'm going to say 10 or 11 at the most, get out of a truck and go one way and a guy get out of a truck and go the other towards that bar, actually. And I said, we need to go talk to that girl. And my husband at the time goes, absolutely not. Well, then, um, and he wouldn't go over. I said, we need to talk to her. They, They ignore it and they think that that is okay. So when I was doing my homework at this same bar, and um, I don't know if it was this guy, but I'm pretty positive, the one that made this comment, but they go, oh, well, uh, and and he said something about underage sex. And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, this other guy looks at me, he goes, oh, underage sex. I said, oh, you mean pedophiles. Let's call it what it is. Pedophiles. Yeah. Go ahead. Let's talk about pedophiles. They hate that word. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, but, you know, they try to gloss it over by saying, oh, it's just underage sex. It's okay to have sex with 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds. It's not okay. Absolutely Under no conditions is it okay. And and they, these men should be hauled off, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And actually, in the state of Utah, just, just to kind of clarify one other point, and that is, in the state of Utah, our human trafficking law mirrors the exact federal statute. So we have the same law as, um, as the, you know, the federal law. And um, one of the, the dynamics within Utah, and I think many states are like this, is if there is any underage dynamic going on, if there is a juvenile that is being trafficked, that sentence for that person, I want to say it's 15 years to life. And so, um, you know, that's huge. And then, of course, in the dynamic of, you know, the people that are purchasing um, the sex with an underage uh, child, with a child, um, they also have a very um, high penalty. I know that it's a felony, and I want to say it's a second-degree felony. Um, and so, anyway, one of the things we want, really want to work on in, here in Utah is to address the buyer dynamic. And we, we definitely address it here, but we definitely need to beef that up as well next year in our legislative session. And let's talk about what underage is. My understanding, underage is under 18, right? Yeah, exactly. It is under the age of 18, um, and so technically referred to as a juvenile, exactly as under the age of 18 years of age. Yeah. Because for some and, reason, um, um, when I was talking about it to another friend of mine in Oregon, he was saying, oh, no, under 12 is the is underage, under 17 is, or, you know, between... 14 and 16, uh, 17 was like, uh, it was like, okay, or something. I'm like, um, I'm sorry, they're all pedophiles. (laughs) (laughs) They are, they absolutely are. And in the state of Utah, and and in terms of our federal laws, I can tell you it is absolutely not okay. Um, Anything under the age of 18 is considered a juvenile. And, um, you know, human trafficking a juvenile or or having sex with a juvenile is, you know, carries massive penalties. Good. For sure. Good, good, yeah. good. Okay, so, so. Um, where does, so the, you don't know what the number one state is by chance? I believe, I, I want to say Vegas is one or two. And if it's not Vegas, then I would say it's New York. Um, so okay. I would say those, 
um, it, it would it would be New York or Vegas would be one, and then Vegas or New York would be two. Um, okay. And they they actually uh, go back and forth a lot. So right this second, I can't tell you what it is, but yeah, <laughs> yeah I would say it's it's one of the two of those. They play back and forth on on championship on that one. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> where where does it happen? <laughs> or where so where it is it happening. So let's let me just kind of break it up a little bit. Let's talk about where it's happening in terms of um, the sex trafficking and where it's happening in terms of labor trafficking. Um, So first of all, sex trafficking most most commonly um, it's happening in in, and I'm gonna. Do you want me to say national or or Utah? What would be best for you? Oh, let's go both. I like both. Okay. Okay. Sweet. So what, what we're finding is in sex trafficking, it kind of mirrors each other with um, how it's happening and where it's happening. So online is, is huge. Um, that's, that's one of the big ones. In the, the pornography industry, it is happening hugely. Um, and actually, it, is, it, is, it, it actually is, is right about in line with the online in, uh, dynamic. So in Utah, for example, uh, it's happening online, but then pornography comes as a quick second to that. It's happening through escort services, massage parlors, um, any kind of a stripping dynamic. A lot of times that's kind of the way for somebody to get uh, a trafficker to engage um, a victim initially if they're already kind of in that life a little bit. Um, And then it's happening, of course, on the streets. Uh, We actually have a drop-in center that um, anybody can, can come to who is in the life or they don't. They actually don't have to say I'm, you know, I'm in the life, so to speak. They just can come to our drop-in center. Um, it's at an undisclosed location, although everybody who's in the life knows where it is. And we have that open on Thursdays from 1 to 4. So a lot of those folks that are, are working on the streets and engaged in commercial sex there, and what I will say is being trafficked on the streets, they can come and for three hours they don't have to worry about survival. And they can eat and get some new clothes and get some services, they can get medical care, they can have some case management. We try to engage them in our services to help them be empowered to be, you know, to, to get out of the life. It's happening at sporting events and conventions. That is huge. Um, anytime we have an event in Salt Lake City, the incidences of trafficking go way up. It's happening at truck stops and rest stops. It's happening in the hospitality industry. We have, um, of course, hotels and motels. And it's also happening in residences. There's a, quite a large amount of residence-based commercial sex that's happening um, throughout the U.S., but also you know, significantly here in Utah. Wow. So those are some of the basic places where it's happening in terms of sex trafficking. Um, labor trafficking it is happening uh, most, most especially in restaurants and the hospitality industry. So, for example, you might have a hotel that is um, in business in Park City or in Salt Lake City here or wherever your local area is, um, but especially kind of a touristy area like, like Park City is especially um, more vulnerable but you'll have hotels and what they'll do is they'll hire, they'll contract their, um, their maid services, for example, um, out to an outside company. And it's the outside company that's actually doing the trafficking of individuals. 
So say they, they're illegal and they're in the, in the uh, country illegally or in the state of Utah illegally, that gives them huge leverage. That, that person will work for 3 or $4 an hour maybe um, if they're lucky, if they're illegal, because they're taking advantage, right, of that and they threaten to report them to ICE or things like that. So two of the main um, areas for labor trafficking are in restaurants and in the hotels and motels or the hospitality industry. Um, it's also happening in the agricultural industry, sheep herding and other type of agriculture here in Utah and, of course, throughout the United States. Domestic servitude is where someone is um, basically told, you know, yeah, we'll pay you, um, you know, this much a week to provide, um, you know, cleaning for our home and maybe watching some children, that kind of thing. And in exchange for that, we will, you know, send you to school or we'll, we'll pay you $500 a week, for example, and, and so forth. But what ends up happening is they come there and they're, they're not allowed to ever leave the home. They are also not paid what they are owed. And in fact, you know, they may, they may say, well, we'll pay you 500, but we're charging you for the room you stay in, in our home. And so that's $300, uh, you know, a week or a month. And so then, you know, we're going to deduct that from your pay. But of course that was never discussed at the outset. Um, right. Of course, the begging, that, that is a huge one. Um, there are, there are um, basically rings or um, groups that organize uh, a lot of folks that maybe are homeless or, um, you know, vulnerable in other ways when they force them into a forced begging dynamic. And so, um, you know, they're out begging on the streets and um, a lot of that money, in fact, the majority of it um, goes back to um, the person that is, is trafficking them. The other point I don't think I've made yet, and this is huge, is that when someone's being trafficked, there is very, very little, if any, money that gets given to the person who is giving the service, whatever it is, if it's commercial sex or if they're working in a restaurant, whatever it is, that money all goes to the trafficker. And, um, and so I, I didn't say that, um, and I, and I want to make that perfectly clear that that is a key element um, there. Um, other places where labor trafficking is, is happening is the drug sales and couriers. That's what I was talking about, the youth from Honduras and other countries as well. Um, it's happening in, in hair and nail salons, construction industry. Um, the magazine door-to-door sales, a lot of that is a trafficking dynamic. And then, as I mentioned, the hospitality industry. And then it's also, of course, happening in homes, like I mentioned. So that's where it's happening for sex trafficking and labor trafficking. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot. Are you there? Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. I can. I'm sorry. <laughs> we had okay, our moments. Technology, don't you love it? Okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) what do traffickers look for in people uh, they can exploit? Okay, that's that's a great one. Um, There are so many vulnerabilities. I could talk about this for days, but I'll just go through the main vulnerabilities we see, what our data shows, what national data shows. Um, number one vulnerability is poverty across the board. 
absolutely number one. Um, and then, um, and you know, obviously that makes sense, right? We're talking about someone yeah. who is in a bad situation where they're not able to sustain, you know, themselves and um, they're, they want to believe whatever they're told by that trafficker, you know, um, you can, you can move, move to this place with me and you'll make this much money. And they are just like, Oh, you know, I really trust this guy. He's my good friend. Um, or he's my boyfriend and you know, that kind of thing. So again, they they want to believe. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, another one is homelessness is huge. Um, obviously someone in a very vulnerable position. Another one is, Substance use. Substance use is big because if a trafficker can um, be the, that person's supplier, then that just gives them a huge amount of leverage in that person's life. And we call it drug control. Um, and they will be that person's supplier. But what they will do is um, they, will, they will provide the drugs for them. They'll, and and if, they, if the person wasn't, wasn't taking drugs before, wasn't um, you know, addicted to drugs before, what ends up happening is they introduce it to them and they get them hooked on it and then they have that additional control. So it can happen, you know, those two ways. We also have cases here in Utah where, you know, someone's been bound um, for about two weeks and uh, a variety of, of horrific traumatic events, you know, happens during that process, including, um, you know, injecting that person against their will with heroin and getting them addicted um, against their will. Um, oh, so substance use is, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, and, uh, substance use, that's, that's another big one. Um, a history of sexual abuse or assault. So that's another big risk factor. Um, also little, you know, children, um, anyone under the age of 18 that's experienced any kind of abuse or neglect. Um, and, you know, for example, a drug endangered child or a child is, um, you know, dealing with parents who are addicted or trafficking or manufacturing drugs in some fashion, and the drugs in that household are the priority. I've been in homes where, um, you know, the only thing in the refrigerator is a styrofoam cup filled with urine, and that urine is someone else's urine that the parent is going to use for a clean UA. And and so, you know, again, there's no food in the refrigerator. The priority is is the, the drugs. Um, mm-hmm. Kids who've run away, runaways are at huge risk. We um, see data uh, here in Salt Lake City that within 24 hours of a runaway being on the street, they are approached about some form of trafficking. Mm. So that's huge. Um, let's see. How about so in St. George, have, have you heard of anything like that? Yes. Um, and we're what we are seeing is that it's more like about 48 hours in St. George and Cedar City. Um, and in Salt Lake downtown, it's about 24 hours. Wow. So that's not long. You know, it doesn't give Mm-mm. people a chance to really, you know, figure things out. We also have uh, recent data that shows that two-thirds of our trafficking victims have um, had some type of involvement with juvenile justice or foster care. Um, and so basically what that means is that, you know, you, you, you recognize that there's a huge correlation there, right? But you have to look at, is it the fault of the system or is it something else? And what I, uh, you know, encourage people to do is look at the reason the individual entered the system to begin with. Um, you know, we have to look at that. What was happening in the home? 
that led them to, you know, behave in the ways that they were. And, um, you know, kids don't just act out for the purpose of, you know, there's, there's typically something going on. They're experiencing some right. type of trauma and some type of, you know, dynamics within the home. Um, mental health problems are huge. Any mom, uh, marginalized population, any, any uh, LGBTQ plus or any person who's displaced like a refugee or an immigrant. And then, of course, last but certainly not least, and this is just in no certain order other than the poverty being number one, and that's domestic violence, which is massive. Um, yeah. And we're talking about kids who witness domestic violence, that being a huge vulnerability, as well as those experiencing domestic violence as well. Uh, we know that, you know, in fact, I'm going to get to some really fascinating data here. Um, we know that 90% of our human trafficking survivors experienced child maltreatment, 90%. So that's not a causal dynamic, but that is a high correlate. And we know that 60% of those were drug-endangered kids. Parental substance abuse was going on. We know that 57% of those, uh, tr those human trafficking victims uh, experienced child sexual abuse. We know that 30% of them were exposed to domestic violence. Um, and so those are just, you know, that's just some kind of recent data that really underscores the dynamic there. Wow, that is heart-wrenching. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of common characteristics that our trafficker, you know, our, our excuse me, our victims have, and that traffickers look for. Um, they're they're looking for that. And they already uh, they probably have people pinned down. I mean, they probably oh, see yeah. they probably get it before even the child gets it. Like how a mother or something or a father talks to a child even in a grocery store. They're mm -hmm. like, "Ah, oh, I got exactly. their number. I'm going to look I'm going to watch where they live and I'm going to befriend this child and be mm -hmm. their friend." Yeah, I mean, for for one one victim we had out of Vegas, um it just took and so so this particular young girl was recruited from Ogden and um took a, and he and the the trafficker center a bus ticket took a bus down to Vegas and was, was being trafficked by that night. Um, and so the dynamic in that one was she got online on Facebook and said, man, my parents, blah, blah, blah. That's all that trafficker needed. He just hopped right on that and started, you know, engaging her and being that listening ear and you can trust me that and, friend. you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is that's a huge vulnerability to put things like that that out there online, and so much of people's lives are online now, and so and they just share whatever, and um, it's it's a huge vulnerability. Oh. So. And yeah. what percentage did you say of um, people that have been sex trafficked that um, end up dead? Did you say a percentage? Yeah, we we basically have data. It's around the fifty percent, so we usually say about half don't make it out alive. Uh, yeah, that is horrible. Okay, um, what are some of the challenges with identifying victims of tracking trafficking? Well, I think probably the biggest challenge is um, that it's not like you know it, it's not incredibly obvious, and um, and so people 
really, um, they don't necessarily, they know something doesn't seem quite right maybe, um, but they just don't really know what to look for. Um, and so a few things that I just want to point out, um, you know, any kind of controlled uh, elements of control that you see. So, for example, um, you know, you might come in to see me as a medical professional or you might come in to see me as a, I don't know, a, a counselor at school. And um, but your parents with you because, you know, there's been something that's gone on either, you know, they're with you for the medical visit or they're with you, you know, because you're you're, um, you know, being called into the office for issues, whatever it is. And, um, for example, um, I might ask you a question, but your parent or the person that's with you will answer. And and it it just seems like a very um, fearful kind of controlling dynamic. Um, also, another thing um, is when, um, when say, for example, again, another doctor visit, we're, by the way, we're training a bunch of doctors throughout the state of Utah, so it's kind of on my mind, but um, if Excellent. someone comes in with an, yeah, if, if, they're, if they come in with an untreated illness or injury, um, you know, I'll ask you, why, why do you think a trafficker wouldn't want to take someone um, that they're trafficking into the doctor? Why do you think? Because uh, doctors might be um, knowledgeable in that area. That's the only thing I could think of, really. Yeah, exactly. So it's risky, right? Exactly. Right. It's very risky. You may have nurses or medical, you know, medical practitioners, doctors that are trained on this, and they know what to look for. Um, and if you have an untreated illness or injury, the other piece to that is it costs them money to take that person into the doctor. And you'd, you'd think that, well, you know, I want to invest in this person so they can stay working for me longer. The mentality is actually the opposite. They don't want to spend a dime on that person that they don't have to spend. And so a lot of times there will be abscesses or untreated illnesses or different things that are kind of been let go, so to speak. Number one, because it's risky to take them in. And number two, because it's expensive. Um, you know, we have traffickers and, and, you know, daily beatings are a part, an everyday part of the life of a victim who's being trafficked, who's someone who's being exploited. And um, a lot of them will say, you know, they, they want them to completely uh, disrobe, you know, completely strip, and they are beaten with no clothes on. Uh-huh. And they, the trafficker tells them it's because the clothes have value, and I don't want to mess up or get the clothes bloody. So oh, no. that's the mentality, right? So that's that's the mentality. That's the dynamic that's going on. Um, and so, you know, be looking for, and I, I want to kind of give um, your listeners maybe some questions to ask yourself about if, if something doesn't feel right, something's probably not right. And some things to consider. Does the person seem disconnected to, you know, from family or friends or their community? Has If it's a child, has the child stopped attending school or have the grades gone down dramatically? Um, is there a sudden or dramatic change in behavior? Um, is the person seeming a little disoriented or confused? Um, a lot of times that will happen. Does the person seem to be kind of coached in what to say? A lot of traffickers, they say, now, if so-and-so, you know, if anybody approaches you, you say this, this, and this. And they are, you know, and then what ends up happening is they're going to continue to repeat the same thing over and over again as you're just chatting with them. Um, 
And then does the person lack personal possessions or not really have a good living situation? And then also just kind of getting an idea, can the person freely leave where they live? So these are just, you know, some things to kind of ask yourself when you are seeing, um, you know, a situation that doesn't look quite right or doesn't feel quite right. Uh, um, And then there are certain questions you can actually ask the person if you are in a position to do so. Say, for example, um, you're a nurse and that person's come in and you're doing that initial screening when the person comes in for an appointment. A lot of times what will happen is the trafficker, Um, They're called in and the trafficker wants to get up and go with the person in to receive care, but it's very well within the right of the medical professional to say, no, you know, you you need to stay here and um, I'm going to take her in with me. And so um, then these are some questions that like, for example, that nurse could ask, um, where do you live? Who do you live with? Who takes care of you? How did you meet your boyfriend? Right. A lot of times it's a boyfriend dynamic. Um, A lot of medical professionals ask people about their tattoos because there's a lot of branding that goes on in trafficking as well. And that tattoo could be the brand of that particular trafficker. And so um, one one dynamic uh, occurred where three girls came in within about a month's time and they all had the exact same tattoo. And it was the, um, the, the peanut, you know, Mr. Peanut, the, yeah. um, Anyway, there's, yeah. And so, and that's a very unusual tattoo. And so they were each one asked and they each had the exact same story. And so that's an example of, you know, um, a a case that was broken because they were able to link those tattoos together and obviously track down, you know, what was really happening. Um, And then another question, does anyone take all or part of the money you earn? Um, Or do you feel trapped in your situation? Some of those types of questions, Um, you know, can just, they're not super invasive, but, um, you know, they can lead someone to feel, especially out of the presence of the trafficker when they're maybe in a medical setting or in another, you know, type of setting where they're away from the trafficker. Um, It is very possible that then they would be willing to open up. Yeah. Okay. Um, Let me ask you a question before I get to my last question. Um, I'm sure you know what OUR is. And Kim Ballard, is that his last name? Allison? Allison, can you hear me? Oh, I cannot hear Allison. Uh Uh-oh. She cannot hear me, so I'm going to call her back. Hold on one moment. Allison has left the room. And she's dialing, but... Okay, I'm just going to say what my last questions were, and maybe I can get Allison to... Please leave your message for 8018646. Okay, so my last questions were going to be... um, uh, OUR is um, Underground Railroad for Trafficking, and Tim Ballard is someone who goes around the United States helping people out of um, 
domestic, or I'm sorry, not domestic violence, um, trafficking situations, usually children in sexual trafficking rings. And so that was going to be one of my questions. And um, if we have that um, same group in Utah or Oregon or um, a group similar to that. And then my absolute last question, so maybe we can have her on next time, was going to be what can we do as as citizens? Um, well, as a community member, what can we do to help fight this, uh, to recognize it, uh, who to call, what to do? And so I will have her on next week at the beginning of the hour to discuss that. And, um, but in closing, what I'd like to say is I want to thank her for coming on tonight. And, um, because trafficking is truly an unknown, uh, an unknown abuse and the world today. And you really, uh, she really brought it alive and made it real. Uh, I want to remind everyone about Domestic Violence and Abuse Conference in Southern Utah, June 7th and 8th of 2019, of course. Um, Please go to savve.org for more information or gvaconference.com. I'm sorry, savve.com or gvaconference.com and get more information. We have some great keynote speakers coming up. Okay, um, next week uh, will be a surprise. (laughs) I'll let you know uh, when we have them Uh, because uh, I might have a change, so I don't want to say right now. But anyway, uh, don't forget, uh, next week my show is at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Central, or 7 Mountain and 8 Central. Please stay safe and have a great week. Good night.